you're listening to the private citizen defending your right to have something to hide a podcast for critical thinkers this is episode 112 for wednesday the 23rd of march 2022 what does putin want Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. My name is Fab. I'm your host uh, tonight, and uh, as usual, um, nice to have you along for this this episode. Uh, as promised, today I'm going to talk a bit bit about the war in Ukraine, uh, where it's going, as much as I as far as I can tell, and uh, I want to have a particular look at uh, what I think the Russians want. Uh, in there because because there's this i don't think there's much there's not enough reporting on this um once again I'm, I'm trying to uh to do the reporting that i see is missing um and um yeah uh, as usual I'm, I'm recording this live on twitch and um streaming this um streaming the recording so to speak and we'll have some live feedback probably um which uh yeah which which is gonna be good. Um, anyway, thanks thanks for coming along. Um, before before I get into the um, the main part of the show, um, there are several things I would like to say. Um, so the first is that um, I might release an episode a bit earlier following this one, and then probably won't there won't be one on Wednesday next week because I'm away on assignment um probably and um i can't can't do show uh but i'll try to get it to you earlier that episode will be um if everything goes according to plan uh about the drachenlord Rainer winkler because tonight actually just before i started this um recording um he uh the this his sentence has come down and he's been um convicted for um yeah a second um well, it was like his. It was his second trial. Um, I, I'm, I'm waffling because I'm actually um, realizing that I need a bumper here because I put it like a subheading into the show notes. I will just get that out of the way. <laughs> so here we go. Yes, uh, Drachenlord. Uh, his, his second trial has come down. Well, actually, it's, it really is his third trial, um, but this is like the the retrial of of the trial I was talking about. Uh, What's that in November um, when I first talked about him, and um, he um, has now been convicted to one year on probation, which is a bit of a scandal slash shock to many, um, because that is a, that that is a very seldomly done generally you know so, so generally if you're convicted twice for the same um um you know same same crime uh in his case uh aggravated assault um schwere Körperverletzung, um usually don't get probation um so i've, I've followed uh, reports from the trial all day today um, but I would still want to, um, it's probably good that I'm not, I'm not going to do an episode on that right away. Um, I still need to do some research on what actually happened during that trial. So I'll do that. And then I'll, I'll, I'll you know, the next episode is probably going to be about that. Because I think it's a, 
it's a, you know, I talked about the case before. It's a very important precedent. Um, it's, you know, for German jurisprudence and generally for, you know, internet and uh, cyber mobbing, which is a topic close to my heart. Um, uh, not so much because I was bullied in the past, cyber mobbing, cyber bullying. Sorry, we call it mobbing in Germany, which is German. Germans are weird. Um, yeah, so not because I've, I've been, I've been bullied in the past so much, but more because, um, this whole cyberbullying thing and, and hate speech is, is being used um, as a weapon um, to silence people, I, I feel. Um, and, and verdicts like this don't help. And I've, I've, I've talked about the uh, Drachenlord recently in what, what episode was that? Um, if you go to Private Citizen or Press, which I'm doing right now, there's the show notes. And oh, that was episode 110. Um, that was the last time I talked about this. And I said, um, yeah, I'm going to talk about the trial. So I'm going to do that. But today tonight whatever time it is for you we're actually doing another episode with something else i promised which is to keep you up to date um on the war in ukraine so um let's 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 switch to that topic then so yes um the war in ukraine um before i get into that this uh i have Two disclaimers that I have to give. Um, the first is, um, I this reporting is based, to the best of my ability, on independent reporting, i.e., uh, journalists in the field um, that are you know trustworthy journalists, um, and and not on government propaganda from either side. That is incredibly hard to do. Because it turns out there's very few um, journalists, independent journalists on the ground. Um, uh, certainly most of the coverage here in Germany, uh, especially by the state broadcasters, um, is based on government propaganda. It's based on what the Ukrainians are saying. Now, um, we're going to probably talk about later because that will come up in the feedback about how the media is treating this conflict. Um, but in Germany, um, it seems to be largely that Basically, what the Russians say is taken as propaganda uh, and labeled quite um, directly as propaganda by my colleagues in the media. Um, and what the Ukrainians say is kind of taken, you know, verbatim and it's just repeated. It, they usually say that it's, it's Ukrainian government sources and give a little bit of a disclaimer. But I mean, it's the same propaganda, right? We're in war. Uh, both sides are... Um, basically um, putting propaganda out there and um i have a bit of an issue if you're taking like you know what what zelensky the head of the ukrainian government is saying and just believing that because i mean he's in a war uh, he's in a desperate war from his perspective i would say um he is uh you know he's being attacked by a huge country um with a much superior military and you know you, you do and it's your duty as the head of state in this situation to do the, what's best for your country right and if that is um misdirecting or maybe even lying directly um you you know or at least putting your own forces into the best light possible i.e propaganda then you know that that is what he's supposed to do and i don't fault him for for it i don't you fault the ukrainians for it same as i don't fault the russians for putting propaganda out there that's just what you do um i fault journalists who are not critically um you know asking questions about this um so it's kind of hard to actually get independent sources so it's it's already kind of hard 
to figure out where actually the front lines are and, and what's happening. Um, there are some independent journalists. A, a good one is actually the, <laughs> of all people, I think he's the deputy editor-in-chief of Bild Zeitung, which is the German tablet, which is a horrible newspaper. Um, they're really bad. They're like the Daily Mail of Germany, probably even worse. Um, I've, I don't read them. Um, I make a point of not reading them. Um, and, but he's he's tweeting about stuff as well. And, and he's actually there. He's in, in Kiev. He's talking to Zelensky a lot. And he's actually on the front line. And you can say a lot of the Bild reporters... Um, but they do have balls generally um they you know they 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 the build has balls and that goes as far as that's my slogan the build has balls um that might usually that 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 also means that they just make up stories <laughs> you know sometimes they just they just have the balls to make shit up um they had very famous things in the past you know where they've basically driven people into ruin. I mean, one example is um, the Swiss German, um, I, think, I don't know if he's actually German, but like he was always on the German TV, Jürgen Kachelmann, the, the weatherman, right, who um, was being tried for having um, assaulted his girlfriend um, or raped her, which never happened, um, which the court uh, in the end actually, you know, he was, he got acquitted of all charges, but built drove a relentless campaign to against him for years i mean he sued them he got a lot of money i think but you know it's this, it's the same thing once you once the public thinks you are guilty it doesn't even help if the court uh frees you of all charges and um, you're basically guilty like if you talk to people on the street today did kachelmann rape his girlfriend i think uh more than half of them would say yes probably even like 90 80 90 percent still think he did it even though he didn't um so you know i don't like him but in this case um this guy um i think his name isn't his name paul ronsheimer i think um uh he, he's he's definitely doing um from what i can see he's, he's doing good work he's one of the you know one of the few people down there who's actually doing things but even then you know he's in kiev and it's not really like the front lines are for example really hard to um to um to figure out um like one of the reasons here is that also i mean everybody got caught like the media got caught completely off guard by this uh even though the war had been going on for eight years even though the russians had been massing um you know tanks and and, and troops for weeks and it was actually reported in the press they apparently didn't send people down there um then also it's not an american war right so um there's no embedded people <laughs> there as you would have for like the Iraq war or whatever um and um and and the, the lots of the journalists that are down there are reporting you know a lot of human interest stories and this is so bad for the refugees and and this is happening here and this house is being bombed which i can understand um, which is also important. I mean, you have to show the the horrible realities of war and what it's actually doing to people, but i would think that would be in addition to actually reporting on you know where the front lines are and what is actually happening um, and the only reporting you see on that is obviously slanted towards the ukrainians where it's like oh there's another russian tank destroyed whatever um to the point i'm going to talk about that a little bit later here uh, where i think the german public believes that you know the russians are just losing the war losing massive amounts of troops and tanks and 
Um, I think there's different reasons for that, I'm, but I'm going to get into that. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is I did my best to, to collate independent sources, and, and but you know with a huge disclaimer that that is really hard. And we're in a situation where you really can't so much tell what's going on. Um, I did produce my own map. This is largely based on stuff I've written. Uh, I've read um, from those people, you know, I kind of trust. And also um, the map itself is based on the uh, the um, Wikipedia map that I had in the previous episode about uh, Ukraine, my first episode about Ukraine, um, where I was a little bit talking about how the war is going. But that, um, I mean, if you want to go, you know, Private Citizen or Press, obviously, uh, show notes for this episode is I, I put the map in there. Um, that was episode... Uh, uh, I think it was 109. Was it 109? Yes. Um, that was the, the 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 you know the first episode. Um, I had a map from 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 Wikipedia, which is um, shows a lot of things in details, but it's very very hard to read. I feel it's it doesn't really. Um, there's too much details in there. It's like fucking train tracks and highways and shit. You don't need. There's like all these little towns you don't need. All the all the labels are way too small to read. Um, so I, I try to improve on that based on their da- data and what I could correlate and come up with my own map that's hopefully a bit easier um, on the eyes and a bit easier to understand. Um, which I'm going to use to ex- try to explain how I think this war is going. Um, this is all based on some research I did over the last few days. I wrote a story on this, which I published this morning. Um, on I have a um, newsletter on Substack now uh, called Realpolitik uh, at realpolitik.news. Uh, I wrote a very long story um, about all of this, which I'm going to kind of summarize on the show. I kind of want to bring this on the show as well. I mean, I often do that. I write articles and then I can kind of talk about it on the podcast as well because all the research is done. Um, so that's that what we're kind of doing today. Um, another disclaimer, I have to think. I mean, I, I don't think... Uh, thanks, Mortality, on the show, by the way, for, uh, for um, um, you know, uh, telling me here uh, it's Paul, Paul Ronsheimer that uh, I got the name correct. That's pretty good. Um, thank you. Um, yeah, so I... Um, uh, see this white Twitch chat and 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 live recording. This is, is helpful. Um, I have to give another disclaimer, which is um, I this what I'm try, try, going to try to do today is with very little emotion and as analytically as possible, trying to see what the Russian and Putin's goals are. Um, I don't think I have to explain this to you if you've been listening to the show for long, but if you and you know me and you know where I'm coming from, but you know there are people who listen to this episode the first time and they might get the if they if I just launch into this, they might get the opinion that I'm either I have no emotions or I'm actually pro Putin, right? Um, I don't really think I have to give this disclaimer, but I will do it anyway. Um, I um, I abhor wars. Uh, I'm against all kinds of wars. Um, I was, uh, you know, um, I kind of dodged the draft in Germany because I was declared medically unfit. Um, if that hadn't happened, um, I would have um, tried my best to get out of um, the, mili- the the compulsory military service that we had back, back when I was 18. Um, I would have done civilian service. Um, when I was younger, I was I was very much a pacifist. I'm not that anymore i you know i've studied politics and history extensively and i understand that there are some wars that have to be fought uh, you know very good and easy examples of world war ii um to some extent right but um it's you know wars have to be fought but i'm still very much against 
wars um, i'm against supporting wars by you know um by making by producing weapons which germany is largely guilty of by selling them to other countries and stuff like that um so i'm first of all i'm i'm, I'm against war um and i'm i'm you know i don't want anybody to misunderstand me this is uh this is a an, an obviously aggressive invasion um that is horrible right some people are calling it an illegal invasion i don't know how it, you know it's i'm, I'm going to probably have to do an episode on international law you know like what we in germany call völkerrecht i don't know i actually didn't look that up in um when I before I did the show, what's what's that? Völkerrecht. What would that be in English? Let me just quickly look this up. Um, yeah, public international international law. Yeah, I think yeah, law of nations, that kind of thing, right? Which isn't really law, right? There's no court, there's no fixed rules. So calling something like this illegal is beside the point, I think. Um, but I think it's 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 abhorrent uh, and it's it's clearly morally wrong. Um, so. Um, I don't want anybody to think just because I'm now going to try to analyze this whole thing without emotion as much as I can, that I don't have those emotions and that I don't think what Putin do, is doing here and the Russian military is doing here is horrible and abhorrent and I'm very much against it. Um, what that doesn't mean is that I'm for sending weapons to Ukraine, for example, um, because I also don't want to prolong this war and, and, and make it worse. And I think this is bad. I'm also not for a NATO intervention because that will just escalate everything. And what we need now is de-escalation. We need diplomacy. Uh, we need cool hats. We need countries. Um, I really like what Macron was doing with France, right? <laughs> to some some extent, for some reason, Erdogan is involved in Turkey. Um, but like we need that that kind of thing. We need we need to get these people to talk, and and find a uh, a solution that will stop the war. Um, that that is what I strongly believe. Um, so, you know, just so that you don't misunderstand me. The reason why I'm trying to do this without emotion as much as I can is because everything I read every day, and I'm, I'm a professional journalist, I read the news every day. Um, I read a lot of sources um, in, in Germany, uh, German sources, English sources, you know, US sources, all kinds of stuff all over the world. And everybody, as far as I can tell, is reporting on this very emotionally. Um, which has its place. It, it is, as I said, it is important to show the consequences of war. Um, but I feel like that's being done too much, right? And it, it tends to whip up people in frenzies where they go like, you know, a good example was two weeks ago or whatever, uh, where we need a no-fly zone over, you know, we need to enforce a no-fly zone over Ukraine, right? Um, which people just, you know, yes, that's the right thing to do. We need to stop this war, but they don't think, right? They just react emotionally. They don't think about the situation. They don't think. They don't realize that enforcing a no-fly zone means means, okay. So if a Russian plane flies in there, you have to shoot it down, right? Which would mean if the Germans or the U.S. enforces this uh, no-fly zone and shoots down that plane, they would enter the war, right? We would then enter a war with Russia, um, and th so there's a lot of this stuff going on, um, and I don't want to be part of it. I want to. I want to try to have a calm, calm analysis here. Um, that being said, let's let's get into it. I mean, if you if you if you have a browser handy, go to privatecitizen.press and look at the map. I've put in the show notes, um, so you can you can kind of follow along. So so this is my theory. This is what I think. I mean, obviously, I'm not an expert on Ukraine. I'm not not 
really an expert on Russia. I studied a lot of. I mean, I don't. I don't even have a. You know, I don't even have a. I don't finish university. I didn't finish my MA. So you know, I'm I'm an, I'm a nobody who knows nothing. But I did study uh, for several <laughs> long years um, modern history of Europe, um, specifically uh, the 19th century, uh, the 18th and 19th centuries. Um, where, of course, I so I know a lot about European foreign policy in that era, in the Bismarck era, era, you know, with with Russia. And even though the countries have changed a little bit, a lot of that is still comparable. I think, obviously, yes, you know, I studied World War II, and I I do know quite a lot about the the politics afterwards. Um, but yeah, so so um, so this is this is where I'm coming from, right? So I'm I'm seeing it like this. So if you want to if you want to analyze what does Putin want, what are his possible war goals here? Um, I see only three different goals, possible ones. Uh, the, the, and I'm kind of going to list them in descending order uh, of how hard they. So the first one would be like the hardest to achieve for the Russians. Um, you know, and then descending order. So the first one would be full-on conquest. Um, this would be, you know, kind of old-school war, conquering and occupying the whole of Ukraine or as much of the country as, as needed to, like, subdue the country and its military um, with the goal of making it a puppet state, uh, either that or even annexing it and making it a part of the Russian Federation, kind of like the you know, the Ukrainian SSR was in the Soviet Union. Um I think the, the the second goal would the, the second possible goal would be toppling the government, which would mean you know invading Kiev, um, and then forcing a surrender of um, the military forces in a way um, that you can then get the government um, to surrender and step down, and then installing a Russia-friendly regime. Right, that would keep Ukraine as Ukraine, um, but you would install somebody who is uh, friendly to the Kreml. Um, and then the third possibility would be forcing neutrality. Um, that would entail, you know, fighting the country's military forces or the important, you know, strategically important military forces to stand still, or and or uh, affecting so much civilian casualties um, to get the current government. So you wouldn't change the government necessarily. Uh, to commit to, neutra- to neutrality. Um, so obviously all of these goals are have different prerequisites and there are a different scale of difficulty um, that you would, you know, if you're from the viewpoint of the Russians uh, to achieve them. They all have one thing in common, which is relatively easy to see, which is um, to varying degrees, but mostly um, negate NATO's influence on the country, right? Um, I mean, the first one would completely negate it, you know, and the second, the, the third uh, possibilities would significantly um, negate it. Now, this brings me to kind of a fourth, which is kind of a fallback goal. I don't think you can count it as a war goal, but because in my opinion, I'm going to explain why later why I think that is, um, Putin has already reached it. I think he kind of reached it by launching this invasion or maybe even in 2014 by annexing Crimea and, you know, uh, starting the whole war in Donbass. Um, so that would be uh, to occupy the east of the country, right? So permanently occupy as much of the like somewhat pro-Russian regions there, um, which 
would effectively prevent NATO from joining this war or Ukraine uh, basically basically would prevent Ukraine uh, from joining NATO because it would mean that because there was an ongoing war or parts of the country are occupied by the Russians um, you know bringing bringing Ukraine into NATO at this point would mean you're basically putting a country into the alliance that is already being attacked which would cause NATO to respond which would immediately mean World War 3 you know probably fought with nuclear weapons um, which would mean it would end it all so I kind of feel like that, that's something they've already uh, achieved but I'm going to get into that later um, so let's get into the different war goals in that same um, order right let's talk about full on conquest first um, I think this is generally what, you know, especially the media in Germany kind of presupposes is Putin's goal. Um, I don't think it is. Um, so this would mean you would have to capture basically the whole country, um, i.e. you would have to make military resistance by the, you know, by the Ukrainian military unfeasible. Um, and then turn the country either into a puppet state or make it part of the Russian Federation. Um, this means specifically that you cannot only conquer Kiev uh, and, and, and topple the government because history teaches us that like even with the government in exile or you know captured or whatever, it is conceivable that the Ukrainian military just keeps the command structure uh, intact and continues fighting the war. Um, so you'd have to also... Yeah, so it wouldn't be enough to capture Kiev. You'd basically have to capture the whole country. Uh, then you'd have to subdue the regular Ukrainian military. But that wouldn't even be, I, I feel, the main, the hardest. Like, that wouldn't be all of it, right? That wouldn't be the main difficulty. Because if, even if you did that and you occupied the whole country as the Russians, um, you have to be prepared for... Uh, insurgents, um, basically guerrilla warfare on part of the Ukrainians, which they um, have prepared for ever since this whole thing started in February. Um, I mean, they've been handing out guns to civilians uh, en masse. They've been forming militias. Um, so I think, I also think this, um, what you're seeing reported as the, um, the, the willingness of the Ukrainians to fight insurgency war like this is not Ukrainian propaganda. I mean, there is propaganda to that effect, but I do think that is a real thing. I think there's enough like national pride and hatred there that I believe the Ukrainians would actually do this. And I think the Russians know this. And I think the Russian army, um, you know, both both the army of the Russian Federation as well as the Red Army back in Soviet times have significant experience with this. Um, the Russian army in the Chechen conflicts um, and of course, also um, the the Red Army in the Soviet Afghan War. Um, you know they know how hard it is to do something like this. I mean, you can capture the country, but you know there can be insurgents insurgencies for decades, which is very costly. Um, you know they they can just make you bleed. Um, so while I think that um, given enough time, it's pretty much inevitable that Russia wins this war. Um, simply just because of the size of their military. Russia has the, in, in terms of manpower, it's the fifth largest military in the world. Um, it's about 10 times as big as the Ukrainian military. 
Um, it has, I think, in reserves, it's like number three. I think they have double double the reserves than Ukraine has, um, and they know how to leverage this, right? They know how to like Russia historically, um, not only in in in, in World War One and World War Two, but even before that, um, historically their um, their approach to warfare has been very much uh, just throwing people and equipment and, at a problem and just not giving up. And and by this year. By sheer momentum and overwhelming uh, force, they just win in the end. Um, and they know that. They know how to leverage that. That is pretty much the Russian military tradition. And, and everything they do is kind of built into that, right? They, when, when, when the West builds a tank that's, that's high-tech and, 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 and expensive and, and, and has everything, then the Russians just build four tanks that are cheaper, uh, not as good, but you have four. Where where the where the where the Western army, um, you know, in the in the Cold War, the Americans um, built the M16 rifle or whatever, right? Uh, and now the the M4, um, you know, a very very high tech, uh, you know, very precise weapon. The Russians just built a Kalashnikov, which was famous to be just stamped fucking metal parts that you could mass produce. It might not be as um, as reliable, it, it might not be as 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 last as long, but you can just make ten, ten times the guns in the time it takes you to build one M16, probably. Um, so the, you know their their approach has always been that. So I I think that it's 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 conceivable, you know, with the Russian general staff being largely, you know, a holdover. Uh, a lot of these people are still, are still from the Soviet times and the Red Army. I still think that they know this. They have the skill. And um, so I feel uh, I think it's pretty much inevitable. But I also think they know um, it's been clear that Ukraine's been galvanized and that they will will fight a guerrilla war if they have to. And I think the Russians know this. I think as clear as it is that they can just win this war and just grind down Ukraine, you know, presupposing that NATO doesn't get involved. Um, and just grind them down. I think it's 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 in the same time it's it's as inevitable um, that they will get bucked, bogged down in this this insurgency warfare, which they don't want because they have experience of that and they know how costly that is, right? And Putin was involved like in the Chechen conflict. He was he was um, he took over the government from Yeltsin during the Second Chechen War, um, so he knows. How how hard that was on his military and how costly that was, um, and I think while Putin, you can say these many things, um, you know, I mean, if, I mean, could could I wouldn't even like generally I don't like calling people evil because you know, kind of presupposes that they're not human or something. I don't know, but like I, I think it could be argued that you could call him evil, um, certainly morally bankrupt. Um, but I don't think he's naive. I don't think he's naive or dumb. So I think he knows this. And for this reason, I think that this is not like this is not actually his goal. And um, it is not the the goal of his military either. Um, because but another reason that makes me think that if you look at the approach of the the um, like just how the Russian military um has has attacked Ukraine, right? Both both the 
where you know how how the how they are set up like from where they attacked you know in the east and the north and how they did that and how they are advancing on kiev but also how they are consolidating the don pass um i think if their goal would have been to conquer the whole country i think the smartest approach and i think they know that would have been a blitzkrieg kind of approach right the thing that hitler did with poland in world war ii um, i.e. catch the enemy off guard and then drive your like use elite forces use your best forces uh, to catch the enemy off guard and then dr relentlessly drive that approach uh, you know I mean, I mean if you want to listen to some music after this you might want to listen to Ghost Division by Sabaton which kind of explains uh, this whole uh, German tactic from World War II you know, use mobile forces and just capture territory and, and press that advantage. Never get the, let the enemy get back to, on their feet and catch, catch their balance. You, you'd have to press. To do that, you need elite and very good forces. Um, and he's, certainly the Russians caught the Ukrainians of guard. I'm pretty sure they caught everybody of guard. They caught politicians in, in Europe of guard. And they, I think they're, I mean, they're, they're pretty much, as far as we can tell, entered the country pretty much unopposed. The Ukrainians weren't able to stop them at, at the border. Um, you know, which, which is somewhat surprising because, you know, we had for two weeks, we had reports in the media that the Russians were massing materiel and people um, at the border. And I'm, I'm thinking that our intelligence services and the Ukrainian intelligence services probably must have known this longer than the press did. You know, there was the Spiegel story with the invasion plan going around and all of that. So um, they were still caught off guard. Now, I think the Russians would have relentlessly pressed this and, and tried for speed if their goal would have been to come, you know, to, to capture the whole country. Because that's the only way you can do this. Because once the other military, well, you can do it, you know, over decades or years as well in a long drawn out war. But if you can do it in like kind of a blitzkrieg approach, like you would do that. But, you know, their military, if you see like how they invaded from, from, you know, okay, they, in the in the north, kind of from Belorussia, they started directly towards Kiev, right? They captured Chernobyl, the power plant, pretty quickly, and then uh, drove down, and the Ukrainians kind of drove them back. So that's not not really an indication. But if you look how they um, advanced from the south and the east, they didn't advance into the country so much. Um, they they went north a little bit, but they mostly went went towards the Donbass, right? And they they consolidated the separatist uh, um, held areas, as far as I can tell, with reg regular Russian forces. Um, also, if you look at what kind of equipment and people they use, this is not like a veteran, um, uh, you know, kind of a, a, an elite setup, right? So, for example, uh, the Russians uh, have the, a tank, the T-14 Armata, which is arguably the most modern main battle tank in the world. It's, it's the next current generation, like it's a next, gener it's a next generation tank. The Japanese have a new one as well, but like it's generally, we don't really know its capabilities because it's never seen on a battlefield. Um, but it's generally supposed that this is the most modern tank. It's certainly more modern than, you know, the German Leopard 2, uh, the Abrams, uh, anything like that. It, it is it is high-tech uh, modern. And they, they are in the process of replacing their T-90s with this. 
But th this tank has never been seen in Ukraine at all. Now, Western observers are saying that's because they do not have enough of them. Um, I'm not quite sure. Like, even if you had, like, one one panzer battalion, I won't say because I listen to Savage so much, you know, had one battalion of these, you probably, if you tr if you tried for a Blitzkrieg attack and you tried to conquer very, like, strate strategically important targets, you probably would have used this tank. Um, but the Russians haven't been using it. They've been using, um, you know, T-90s, um, and, you know, to some extent, uh, even T-72s. Now, the T-90 is like the current generation tank. That's kind of like a Leopard 2 or an Abrams. Um, the T-72 is hope hopelessly outdated. That's like a previously generation tank. That's also why, why they've been losing them left and right, right? Because you can kind of basically pop that with a with a World War II almost Panzerfaust kind of thing. Um, so they're not being using their elite forces. Same goes for... Um, uh, they're you know the the soldiers and they're, they're the small arms they're carrying like if you if you're really interested in this and you want to look into this you can you can go to my newsletter i've, I've linked uh, the post and i've got lots of links in there one of them is to a video uh by brendan herrera who's like kind of a gun guy who just is looking at guns the the everybody's well every the ukrainian and the russians are using um in the uh in the conflict and um you know he he uh, he points out that like the russians <laughs> there's a guy um he he has a picture that went around the internet um of a russian soldier um in in ukraine uh using a mosin nagant um the mosin nagant is also known as the rifle m1891 because it was introduced in 1891 so we are talking uh, a rifle that is well over 100 years old uh, that somebody's using in the current conflict. Um, he also points out that while they're using uh, the AK-12 quite a lot, which is the modern um, uh, you know, Kalashnikov rifle that the, that the Russian forces are using, it's, it's basically a, a Kalashnikov, uh, it's traditional Kalashnikov that it's been... Um, that's been modernized, um, including um, which 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 Brandon talks about. Um, one of the one of the I mean it 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 still looks like a Kalashnikov, but it has like a modern stock. It looks looks very much like an M4, pretty much. Um, it it has like a Picatinny rail on top, which Kalashnikovs never had. If you're not into guns, this is kind of the it's kind of like an attachment system that you can put like scopes on and stuff. And the whole point of this modernized Kalashnikov is that you can do that. Right on 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 an old uh, like if you look at the uh, the predecessor, which is an AK seventy four, which is this is what what most people think of when they when they call it an AK forty seven. The AK forty seven hasn't hasn't been in use for you know when when you're talking about the 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 the, the Cold War Russian um, Warsaw Pact rifle, you, you're talking about an AK seventy four, right? Which is the modernized forty seven. It's also different. It doesn't doesn't really matter. It's like, but if you look at that, it's 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 the the Kalashnikov everybody knows, you know, from the RAF, the like the German terrorist organization logo, and, and that very much just has iron sights and it doesn't have anything you can attach anything on. Um, whereas like modern rifles, like you know the American, you know the M4 and stuff like that, they have these Picatinny rails and you can put lasers on, and like night vision devices and all this kind of stuff, which like modern militaries do. Now it's very um, conspicuous, um, you know, says Brent Herrera, which you know I kind of he knows what he's talking about. 
um, that the Russian soldiers are using these rifles, the AK-12, and they're being captured left and right by the Ukrainians, but they don't have any accessories on there. Right, which just doesn't make any sense because that's why you use that rifle, <laughs> right? That's its major improvement. Otherwise, it's just you could also you might as well use an AK-74. Um, it's I mean, it's it has a free-floating barrel, which is like a new thing, but like um, it's 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 largely it's largely the same kind. So basically, what they're doing is they're handing out these um, these rifles, but they're keeping the 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 accessories. As far as we can tell, they're keeping the accessories in 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 reserve or something, kind of like kind of like they're good tanks. Um, so what what I'm trying to explain here is what I think is that this doesn't look like an operation where you'd go. I want to cover as much territory as possible with my fastest tanks. It can't be stopped with my best equipped soldiers. Also, they're using. Um, we had reports that the Russians are using actually a drafted. Um, you know, like 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 drafted recruits, people from the draft, who are told, "Oh yeah, you're going on maneuvers in in Belarusia," and then there's suddenly they're in, in the war, right? So they're not using the elite equipment. They're not using elite forces. They're keeping stuff back. Um, and I think that makes sense. Um, it also makes sense with like the approach. The, the military has been using because this all of this looks to me like they're going for war war goal number two uh which is uh toppling the government right um because it looks like they're just going for kiev trying to um you know invade kiev and 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 get get government kicked out uh, and for that it actually makes sense if you're not using your your, your top troops your top tanks um because speed is not so much of the issue there. Uh, basically, you're trying to do political, you're trying to affect a political change, and like it, it'd be actually a bonus if you can do that without even conquering the capital. So if you're just like causing massive, I mean, this sounds heartless, but you know that's what war is. Um, if you're just trying to cause, and I think this is how Putin say, thinks, cause massive. Um, civilian casualties and just break the country's will you might even get the government to like resign or whatever uh, without actually conquering the capital um also that you know there's really no reason to to go in there fast because i mean you know that the capital's well defended that they that's where the defense is and that by the time you get there they probably they can repel that um so your your best goal there is just to to, to go slowly uh to destroy as much as you can and just destroy their will to fight and then just i mean at that point you can just if this war takes two years who cares uh if you're putin um especially if you i think they just don't care about casualties and uh, because that's how the military thinks and i think especially the russian military they don't care about how many people die of their own people and they don't care about their fucking tanks because the t-72s i mean if they weren't using them in this war they would be scrapping them or selling them off to Africa, they're just not usable anymore. Like if you fight any, like you can see, even if you're fighting the Ukrainian military, which has like T90 tanks, right, f from the Russians back in the day, um, even then you're losing quite a lot. But you know, if you if you're a cold-hearted Russian general, um, you'd rather use them in the war and get get some bang out of it before you're just scrapping them anyway. Same with the T90s. The T90s are are in the process of being replaced by the Amata, right? The T14. So 
why not use them? Otherwise, you, you'd have to get rid of them any, anyway. And um, I think it's just smart if you're Putin and you're waging a war to keep that stuff in reserve because, like, your best, your your worst case scenario is that some, I mean, NATO could get involved. And let's 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 say we we don't have a nuclear war; we have a conventional war. You'll need those T14s. Um, you need those Kalashnikov attachments. And you need your your Spetsnaz special operations or veteran troops to fight the NATO people, right? To fight the Americans if they decide to invade Russia or whatever. So I think they're keeping that in reserve, which is like, I mean, I, I, I haven't studied military history. I only like studied history and like older wars. But um, you know this even if you play like, yeah, as dumb as it sounds, but even if you play, you know, strategy games, if you play video games or board games or Warhammer, you you know this, right? You have to you you keep some stuff in reserve, um, and especially in real life, um, because you need to you need some stuff to defend Russia if if uh, push comes to shove. Um, so I think he doesn't he they just don't care about these these losses. Um, so they they can just they can just take it slow, and and basically try to grind down Ukraine. Um, that that what it looks to me like they're doing, right? Um, I think that was Putin's goal all along to just get in there, um, topple the government, install a, a Russia friendly government. And then, you know, probably occupy. I would say the Donetsk, uh, the, the 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 Donbass, um, you know, the Donetsk and the uh, Luhansk People's Republics. Um, you know, um, occupy that, uh, make that part of Russia and Crimea, and maybe some other pieces in the east. And then you just don't need the rest of Ukraine, right? That can that can be its own independent country. Um, kind of like Vichy France was, right? The, the part of, uh, especially the part of France that Germany didn't occupy, right? You kind of don't need that. You can just leave that and like install a government that is kind of friendly to you. And then like, why conquer? Like from the point of view of Putin, you don't need to conquer. He doesn't, I don't think he wants Ukraine. Um, I think that's a, that's a Western misinterpretation. You know, that's the, the whole, yeah, he wants to reinstate the Soviet Union. I think that's just completely wrong. I think the guy is a, you know, his morals notwithstanding. I think he's a, he's a, he's a realpolitik guy. Um, he thinks, like, I think, I don't know. I wouldn't say I understand him, but I think I understand him better than many um, journalists that are covering this because, like, if you've, studied Bismarck and you've studied that era that this is exactly how people thought back then they didn't have any like this this convoluted stupid idea of international law and like you know what today we think oh um you know people who run states are not that Machiavellian anymore and morals are involved like that's not how they thought like Bismarck literally started two wars to unify Germany 
right? He, he knew he had to fight Denmark. He knew he had to fight France. And that was his only chance. And he wasn't thinking about, oh, is it morally wrong to attack another country and, you know, have my soldiers die in battle? That's just not how they thought back then. Or have civilians die or, you know, invade another country and kill people there. That's not how politicians thought back then. They were just like, you know, this is this is war. <laughs> and... And and this is like for the good of my country, and I think that's how Putin thinks as well. He just doesn't think about this morally. He thinks, um, from his perspective, he's under threat by NATO, and he needs to solve this situation in, U in Ukraine, and that's the only way he can reliably do this. And if you think about it that way, like why why conquer the whole country? You don't need that. You'll just like have to hold it, and then the fucking insurgency and fucking losses everywhere. No. Um, you consolidate the East, uh, you consolidate the position there, you, you press, you give them the understanding that they can't stop you because you're fucking Russia and your military is 10 times bigger, and then you advance on Kiev and you grind down their resistance and then you just take over the government. I think, I think that, is, that is his goal, pretty much. Um, and I, I, to me, how this, like from what I can tell, <laughs> what I can figure out how the war is going, um, it holds up to that. Also, what 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 jives with that is their propaganda idea, like the the Russian propaganda story is that there's no war at all. This is just a limited special military operation in Donbas, right? And that that would like if they if they actually ca captured all of Ukraine, it would call that propaganda line a lie. I mean, it's not not to say that that wouldn't be something they they would do and could happen, but like why do that if you can just like. Um, you know, they're basically saying, yeah, we need to pacify like Donbass because there's Russian citizens there or Russian aligned citizens. We have a responsibility to rescue them or whatever, you know, their fucking warped propaganda line is. And the government in Kiev is, is suppressing them. So we need to conquer them and reinstall like a, 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 a proper government, um, you know, and I mean. There are even, you know, it's not like, I mean, if you, if you, I've, I did a lot, a lot of research on Ukraine in the last few weeks and you actually, you do find things that like, you know, that there are that people in the East had legitimate grievances that, you know, the Ukrainians have become very nationalistic in recent years, you know, that there were, um, uh, I, I read a story by, by like a correspondent who was, who was, uh, was in Ukraine just before 2014 and, you know, writing a lot about how, you know, they were, um, you know, there were people living in the East who were Russian, who were speaking Russian. That, that was their main language. And the Ukraine started um, enforcing that there was no Russian taught in schools and that the schools were all um, only teaching Ukrainian and that those kids then couldn't understand what was happening in school, which, you know, I have a grandmother who's a, uh, 100 years old and I, I talk to her a lot uh, I've, and I've done so for decades and she always reminds me of like she, she always tells me the story because it's very, very painful to her when she was in school um, she lived in Pomerania uh, which is uh, in the north uh, on the Baltic uh, it's now part of Poland used to be part of Germany i.e. when my grandmother was born um, in uh, 1921 uh, it was uh, part of Germany um, and then uh, obviously uh, became part of, po or it was part of Germany before that, and then became part of Poland uh, when she was growing up. And I think I think it was already part of Poland when she was growing up, or like 
parts of it were i don't know anyway but she 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 was in school and you know she was in an area that used to be germany and was majority german and there was spoke german and spoke german schools and then the polish people decided suddenly you know for political reasons that there wouldn't be any german in school and they switched the school to polish and from from one day to the other my grandmother couldn't understand the word they were saying in school and my grandmother's the most peaceful person you would ever meet like she's the most endearing lovely person but like you can tell that like even she was back in the day when he was a kid like th this is how you breed um discontent right this is how you th this is shit like this is why hitler then w with his hate and and his his aggression um actually got people on board um you know it's not it's same with this like this that's you can't i'm not trying to excuse that putin invades invaded right i'm not trying to excuse that hitler Uh, killed millions of people um, but you have to if you want to understand history you have to understand these things right it's, it's not like like the NATO expanding east I talked about this on a previous episode that didn't that's NATO's not at fault for Putin invading but like if you want to understand why all this happened it's part of it um, so yeah so that it just reminded me of that so I think you know there are legitimate grievances that this Russian propaganda is playing into. I don't think it's 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 dumb propaganda, and I think this whole it it works together. Like if they just want to topple the government, this propaganda line also makes sense. Um, so you know I don't I don't believe uh, they wanted a full on invasion. Now there's the third the third goal, um, which is forcing neutrality. You know which is actually. I mean, there are ne negotiations right now between the Russians and the Ukrainians where that is actually, I think, on the table. Where the Russians say, we're going to stop this war if you give us commitments that you will never join NATO. Um, I don't think this was Putin's war goal on the outset because I don't think it makes sense for him to demand that. You know, um, like to start the negotiations and, and, and demand, like... I mean, he's demanding neutrality now, but like, I mean, it is to, to switch it the other way. Like, if if he wanted to have negotiations and demand his actual war goal, which I think is his actual war goal, right? Demand that the government surrenders. You can't do that in negotiations. He knows that he can only achieve that by force. So I think that's what he's trying to do. That is his main goal: achieving that by force. I think this is. Oh, I spilled beer. Uh, This is it's time for the beer sock again. No, I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna gonna take a uh, a towel here and uh yeah. Uh if you're listening to the podcast this will be this will be seamlessly over uh, in just about a second. Sometimes I think I have uh, Italian genes because I'm not only just gesticulating wildly uh with my with my hands while I talk even with my feet so I kicked over a beer bottle anyway what was I what was I saying um for that I, mean, I might as well put the rest of the beer into my tankard um yeah so I think I think this is like his fallback option um I think he doesn't didn't set out uh it makes little sense to start a war to force neutrality like this I think um, yeah, Swiss is already making fun of the beer sock again. The famous beer sock. Um, 
Yeah, I don't think that makes sense. I think it makes sense that this, this he's keeping his options open, right? If things go bad for him, or you know, if if he sees okay, we can get those commitments, then we can might as well stop the war. Um, I don't, I don't. Why the reason why I don't think that this was his initial goal because I think those a commitment like this um, is is worth as much as the paper is written on, right? Um, you can always renege on on commitments, uh, you know, just like the Russians said, you know, to Ukraine, you give us back our nuclear weapons and we'll never attack you. And, you know, uh, 20 years later or whatever, um, that's just worth nothing. And I, I kind of think he doesn't really need this neutrality. I mean, I think he's going to enforce neutrality. I think that's, the, that's like where the fallback goal comes in, right? That's where the... Um, Occupy the East thing comes in because by doing that, and he's done that pretty much by starting the invasion, I feel, um, you know, by just getting across the border. What he does, he's, he's occupying this. He might as well pull his forces back now, like, you know, and then even without the negotiations, even without conquering Kiev, just leave his troops in like the Donbass region and the stuff they've conquered in the South and then just sit there. And he'll he'll have the goal that Ukraine will not join NATO because in the moment they do, it's war, and NATO doesn't want that. And Putin can always, yeah, threaten another invasion, right? He's, he's got his troops right there, so I think he kind of has that already. And and I think that's that is the way in which he wants to enforce this neutrality. Um, yeah. I think I think those are that's his goal. Like you know, his goal is to topple the government, and then have a fallback. That's you know that's why they not only um, invaded uh, towards Kiev, Kiev, but that's why the consolidation movement, right, coming south and then going east towards the Donbas and 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 you know uh, subduing Mariupol, like basically bombing it to rubble. Um, that's that's why they did that. Um, to consolidate there and, and to never, like, even if the war grinds to a halt, to never leave that area and just stay there. Um, I think that... So I think he's already achieved his minimum. I think I think this is a win-win situation with Putin because he's already achieved his very minimum bo- goal just by starting the war, right? Just by escalating... Or starting the war is wrong because the war's been going on since 2014, but by escalating that war to the invasion uh he's already kind of gotten his minimum goal and i think that is something that the west will have to come to terms with um i think there is no danger at all uh for putin militarily here i don't think they see ukraine and the ukrainian military as a major threat i I think that is a good assessment i don't think anything the west does sending them tanks planes mercenaries weapons whatever is going to change that um i think the russians if they want to they can drag this war on for a decade and just grind them down militarily uh no matter what my colleagues in the media tell you how many tra- tanks the russians lose like oh they're only driving along the roads all this kind of crap do you really think the russian military is that inept right i mean i kind of on in my uh in my article here i i went into a little side rant because like i i think it's the ho- i think it's very very arrogant um for western um observers to 
comment on this like this, especially for ones in Germany, right? Because I mean, the German military is like, we can't, our tanks are like, our tanks don't work, our planes don't work, our fucking G36 rifle doesn't work. We've got problems everywhere. And like the the only military engagement the Bundeswehr has had in the last 20 years was sitting in compounds in Afghanistan um, and, and not even being able to just do any missions without the US like giving them actual support. Um, whereas the Russian military, if you look at the last 20-ish years, right, they fought major en engagements in Dagestan, Chechnya, Georgia, in the North Caucasus, which is kind of Chechnya and Dagestan again, uh, Ukraine, Syria, and most recently in Central Africa. Um, you know, they, they've actually had time to, I don't know, for lack of a better term, practice war. Um, I think they know what they're doing. Um, yes, they probably made a lot of mistakes here, but I don't think they're, they're as inept as, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of fucking journalists in the news, but it's all, it's propaganda. It's like, it's, 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 it's our propaganda, right? We're kind of, yeah, the Russians are idiots. I mean, they're, they, it's kind of weird. They're kind of trying to brand Putin at the same time, like kind of like an evil genius, kind of like Hitler, uh, and then at the same time, they're kind of trying to try to brand like him and his military leadership as idiots who don't even know how to use their weapons, right? Or their, their equipment correctly uh, or their resources. Um, where I think I err on the side of that they're just, they don't care about people losing people. Um, and they don't care about losing this fucking equipment, which is like outdated equipment or just losing equipment in general. That's just what the, the Russian military has been done the last 300 years in wars, just throwing people and equipment at somebody until they just falter uh, because they can't keep it up. Um, and, you know, they're just not like Ukraine can't possibly win this. I mean, they're not like Russia has a massive military industrial complex. Like if you have heard of things like the Kalashnikov concern, right? The the the, the government companies who built the tanks. It's like the U.S., right? They can they built their own stuff. Ukraine, any anything they have was either inherited from the Russians or bought from Germany, from the U.K., from the U.S. Right? They they don't have an an industry that that can just like if you know if Germany was at war and we could hold which we couldn't because like we can't win a conventional war against the Russians because they'll just just conquer half the country because you can't hold the northern German lowlands but you know if if we were in a war again we we have we have Rheinmetall we have you know we have steelworks okay not as much as we used to have but you know we can actually fucking build weapons if we have to like we don't have to buy everything from like ukraine can't fucking they can't win this war no matter what anybody tells you it's just not possible now this very attitude that the russians have with destroying that shit at at the enemy is i think what could be putin's downfall i think what his downfall could be which i didn't go into this article and i'm probably gonna try to write something else about but it's very hard it's even harder than figuring out what's going on in ukraine is um he could lose the public uh, opinion in Russia, right? Which is currently on his side, no matter who you ask. Like even American uh, polling institutes say it's like fifty to seventy percent of Russians support this war. Doesn't you know? It doesn't really matter why. Largely propaganda, not enough information. It doesn't really matter. It's also national pride, which is very prevalent. Um, 
it's like historical understanding which is lacking because I think Russia never um, uh, never worked through uh, you know the, the the Stalinism and the Soviet Union it, it wasn't like a denazification like in Germany right where in Germany um, first of all we had a denazification after the war and then we had a a generation like the generation of my my parents um you know my grandfather's generation my grandfather was in the waffen ss so my parents um his daughter my mother um rebelled against that massively right and that was like the peace movement in in the in the, in the 70s and whatever and and so and those people went into like those people became teachers in schools so we had a generation after generation that was taught um, about Nazi Germany and and there's there's, there's a lot of uh, German, the German curriculum is like dominated by that. So as a as a society, we worked through this. We worked through World War II. We um, we we taught our children, you know, what Hitler did and and what Germany did wrong and what we should never do again, um, which is failing now apparently because people want us to enter this war, <laughs> which you know it's just a opposite of what we should be doing but um if you have history in mind but like the russians never had that they never worked through that so they still have a very strong nationalism to them stalin still a national hero to, to many russians um you know then they never worked through all of that so so i think that's also uh, in putin's favor here but you know he could use uh, he could lose the public opinion certainly you know if the if the body bags start piling up at home um yeah, that could turn on him, and he, you know, I don't think he. It's so likely that he'd get ousted by a public movement by citizens, but more in by people inside his regime, right? Kind of like how Russian uh, Soviet leaders um, got kind of kind of replaced from within the regime when you know Stalin, being an exception, he just died. But like you know, later on, um, that could certainly happen. But I think it's going to be much lower than you think, right? Um, in in writing about this, I, I was thinking about the Vietnam War and how much resistance there was against the Vietnam War in the American public and how long it took uh, for this resi resistance actually to force the government to do something about this, about the war. Just imagine something like this. And then we're talking democracy with free press and all that, right? And a lot less... I mean, the Americans always had, had a lot of pro-war propaganda, which, you know, they probably wouldn't term propaganda, but it is exactly that um, but it was a much freer society than than uh, russia is today so i think it would actually take longer there so I, I think this is actually this this approach of just not caring about losing people could actually be putin's downfall but i don't think it's as likely as many like western observers um see it to be and i think it would also um take a lot longer but i think that would be um, that would be the way to stop this war. I think it can only really be, I mean, it could be negotiated. That could be like, you know, uh, basically if the Ukrainians give in, that is a way. But like to really stop it from the Russian side, it takes, I don't think it takes military. Um, it's not going to be stopped militarily. It's going to be stopped politically from within the citizenry of Russia, but most likely from within Putin's own regime either by replacing Putin or by convincing him that he's losing support and that he needs to stop this war. Um, 
yeah, I would like to write about and also record an episode of the show um, on how likely that is. But that's incredibly difficult. It is incredibly difficult um, to get any feeling of what is what actually Russian people are thinking about this. Um, of course, we do have Russian producers. Um, one you know very well. I'm, you know, I'm, I've been using his, his forum name a lot recently because I don't really want to, un unless he ex explicitly says so, I don't want to use his real name because I think he could, even though it's somewhat of a, of the, <laughs> I think it's somewhat of the Russian version of uh, John Smith um, or uh, uh, Heinrich Müller in Germany. Or whatever. Um, it's yeah, I, I'm I'm hesitant to get him in trouble, uh, but you know, um, but he has a very specific perspective. I think everybody, every Russian listening to his podcast, especially still listening to his podcast, um, is probably very much on the uh, anti-Putin side, which you know is good. Don't get me wrong; that's a, that that's the side to be on. Uh, but it does. I I don't think it necessarily reflects. Um, the whole Russian population, um, and I think I think the German press understanding, and probably this, it, I think the same goes for the UK and the US. Of you know, it's all propaganda, and and Putin giving a speech, and then they, all the people in the stadium are just you know there because the government. Um, and a lot of that's probably true, but you know, the government workers and they're, they're forced to be there, and really, they, the Russians don't really uh, agree with him, but they're just too afraid, or just they just don't know. I don't think that is true. I think there's there's probably a lot of support um, for this war. Probably also based on because they don't know. A lot of people don't know don't know the truth, right? But I mean, the same the same I think could be said for Germany, where there's massive support for the Ukrainian cause. Where to the point, I walk along my street here, and several people have Ukrainian flags in the window, um, which. Uh, yeah, I don't think uh, a year... So they certainly didn't do this uh, when the war started in 2014. And I think a year ago, if you'd asked them, you know, um, you know, how do I put this diplomatically? Ukraine, um, you know, wasn't exactly known to be a very um, trustworthy, democratic country i mean you know I, I i i i have a lot of i don't i know very little about ukraine the only stuff i know is from profession from my professional research in the last decade or so into it security right and 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 whatever i researched ransomware you know carter groups everybody you know basically um for years um when we were researching stories um, at Heiser, you know, the, the colleague did a big thing about Carter's, you know, people copy. Um, so a little a few years ago, they would copy um, a bank cards, you know, European, what used to be called the EC card, you know, European bank cards, which moved, I mean, almost 20 years ago to like chips. Like, you know, they have a magnet strip still to this day, but they also have a chip. And, and it, you know, when I was, when we were researching the stories and writing about this like five years ago or so, um, or maybe even seven years ago, something like this. Um, it, it used to be that, you know, you'd have gangs. Um, interesting, a lot of the time based in London, um, who would come over here and just copy these cards, copy the magnet strips. 
Um, so there, there was one case uh, I also wrote about where in a, in a big supermarket chain, I think it was Edeka, which was a franchise, um, an organized group went in disguised as service technicians and replaced or put a chip in the card readers. And they did this to like a big franchise supermarket because they all had the same card readers, right? So they figured that one out and they figured out how they could just open the case very quickly, um, pretend to service it, put a chip in, and then, you know, actually with a little uh, 3G um, mobile modem. And they would just re- like, copy these cards as people, you know, uh, put them in. They, I mean, they can't use the strip, but it, you know the, the the chip, but it still read the magnet strip, and they copied that information. But ba- even back then, you couldn't use that at European banks to withdraw money, because every bank everywhere in Europe would check um, would check like the chip, right? They, you couldn't just use the magnet strip. You know, get that data copied on a blank card and use that to withdraw money. So, uh, so they would always do this. Like even the like the the, the, the groups based in the UK, or whatever, or in Germany, um, they would they would work together with cyber criminals. You know, as, as they like to say these days, cyber cyber, uh, in Ukraine, and, and they would just withdraw this money at Ukrainian banks, and the Ukrainian banks. I mean, I can't prove this. But I talked to a lot of experts who said they must know this, right? They, I mean, but like, you know, if you have a bank and you withdraw money, you know, how banks work, right? They kind of, you know, they, they use the money. That's why, you you know, it takes a few days for the money to arrive. If you, you know, they, they use the money to speculate, whatever. Like, it's good for them if, if the money moves there, whatever. I don't know. Maybe these, bank, these, these guys paid them. They paid people off. But so I... I basically new ukraine for just being like the hub for all kinds of cyber criminals right if you wanted to buy like ransomware or whatever uh you know you'd, you'd go on a darknet thing and then you you it, it'll come from ukraine it would ca- always come from ukraine sometimes we're russians uh obviously often eastern ukraine um then when the conflict started in 2014 it got massively worse because obviously the ukrainian uh, police and authorities who sometimes actually try to crack down on these couldn't like couldn't do that anymore in the east but like i mean even decades before that if you talk to people and you talked about them about ukraine and organized crime ukraine will always come up like you know you'd have um, a lot of like illegal porn uh is produced there or was produced there um uh, you know uh if you if if if, if there was like online somebody hired a hitman they were all were almost always out of ukraine it was just like a massive hub for i, I think the i don't know the, the 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 government and the uh institutions there was just like completely corrupt i think in in many cases um so i i don't know like as as horrible as this war is and as 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 much as Putin is at fault, at fault, and as much as you know, you can't just say, okay, they they, they had a corrupt government there with lots of crime, so you, you know anybody can invade them. This is of course not true, but like, I f- I f- find it a weird country to like just be in, unconditionally off the side of, right? And 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 send weapons to, for example. Right? Because you just know that these gangs there still exist. And I mean, okay, they handed out weapons on the street. So pro- they probably have all the AKs they need. Uh, but, but now they probably also have uh, uh, East German, uh, formerly East German uh, rockets or whatever that we sent them. Um, 
and and I think that's just like that's that's the German propaganda, right? So we what I was trying to say is like we have this too, like in the German media, just saying okay, uh, we always unconditionally side with Ukraine with anything. Now it's just as as stupid. Uh, as uh, you know, and you you're just as misled as the well, not as misled. I think the Russian public is probably misled a lot more with propaganda, but it's like it's it's uh, naive to think that we don't have that over here. Um, and like all of this this stuff is is now never reported. Now Ukraine is just like uh, just everybody there is like victims, and you know it's just like. <laughs> People are just like they're not they're not objective about any of this, and that, that's the shit about that's the shitty thing about propaganda, and that's why I think it would it would be very hard. I'm gonna try, but it's gonna be very hard to to um, like figure out what the what the chances are for Putin to lose this war because of of the situation back home. To figure that out, what people there actually think, because I, I think it's it's like if I I'm just when I when I think about approaching this, I think about like how hard it is for me in Germany where we have freedom of the press and you know a lot of reporting, and I can just go somewhere and ask people how hard it is for me to figure out what the German public wants, right? Because we also have our own propaganda with things like that, not even with war, right? With um, I mean, there's, there's, you know, I've, I've talked about this on the show before. There's like this, um, you know, understanding there's a somewhat like the political elite or like the Twitterati, like everybody is like, oh yeah, we need like, uh, we need all electric cars and we need to, to outlaw all petrol cars, right? But if you look into that, it, it becomes apparent that a lot of the German public especially like in rural areas people are farmers like they're not down with with this at all but it's just not being reported on right and and if i had the if i set myself the goal to figure out like how many people actually um you know support something like let's get rid of all petrol cars in the next 10 years or whatever like that would almost be an impossible situation for me like to figure out what the actual support of the german public would be for that for like a term a situation where it's not even a war and it's in my own country and i have a lot of a lot of more ways to get information and it's just generally easier that would be incredibly that would be hard very hard so i think it's kind of impossible to figure out um what what the russian public thinks about this but i'm, I'm definitely interested like if you have any information please let me know um i'm going to talk about the feedback in a bit when i get into the feedback section you know i have a whistleblower contact form that you can use completely anonymously um you know please anything anything helps like any viewpoint especially from russians uh in russia although i do not want you to endanger yourself um so you know um the show notes have a link to a blog post where I explain how to use this safely, but you know, always your own safety always comes first, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I'm definitely interested in figuring. I think that's that's because that is the only way, save with diplomacy, which I don't have a lot of faith in right now because a lot of people don't seem to be doing that. Um, I think that's that's the only way for this for this this war to end and and specifically like even if we get a ceasefire and you know Ukraine gets uh Ukraine 
there's a, there's you know the negotiation you know neutrality happens or whatever none of that will stop putin's approach and his belligerence right and his his approach to uh, geopolitics and looking at the next country you know in line i don't know poland or whatever um right the only the only force that can stop this um uh permanently is comes from within within russia itself so i think that's a very important uh thing to figure out it's just it's just very hard to do so that's kind of my long-winded way of saying you know don't don't expect too much from that i'm i'm very much interested in that but i also see the the the, the massive the massive changes uh the challenges we face in 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 figuring that out um i mean it's it's kind of like you know talking about the situation on the ground in ukraine kind of kind of exemplifies that how bad it is and how much propaganda is flying around and how much how little actual information we have which you know we live in a in an information age, everybody has a smartphone and everybody can broadcast, everybody can give their opinion, but um, that's still, you know, that's still negated to a large part by propaganda. Um, and by just information overflow, we just don't know who to trust, right? If everybody can do that, we don't know. Is this actual information from the ground? Is this Russian trolls? Uh, is this Ukrainian misinformation? Um what is it um yeah anyway um i'm gonna now relatively seamless go into the feedback section because it's kind of we're, we're kind of talking we're kind of talking about the same uh, topic there Because in the previous episode, which is 111, I also talked about the uh, Ukrainian conflict uh, pretty much because um, I talked about Facebook uh, or Meta uh, and their uh, supreme hypocrisy, as I thought, in um, basically allowing hate speech against Russian soldiers now. And there was a very interesting discussion that Necros, uh, or Russian producer, had with Steve B, with, I think originally from Canada, but now lives in the U.S. And also has kind of a stake because I think his family is from eastern Ukraine originally. And both of them were discussing this this whole thing. And it kind of spills over in what we are discussing here today. So let me uh, first start with Necros and uh, what he's uh, reading, uh, w w what he was uh, commenting on the previous episode. So, so he says... Um, I think it's worth noting that the whole matter hate speech policy exemption, exemption is mostly, most probably not driven by the need to push some agenda or to signal some virtue, uh, to signal some virtue or some such. The decision was most probably purely economically pragmatical. An average Ukrainian's post these days is somewhat along the lines of, quote, there was a bombing of the city where I'm from yesterday. My parents, close friends, favorite teacher, cousins, child died. Fuck Putin. Go Ukrainian armed forces, let every single invader die a horrible death as soon as possible. Somewhat understandable under the circumstances and whatnot. Had Meta held onto its hate speech policies, it would have to ban most of the Ukrainians since the quote, a good Russian soldiers, a dead Russian soldier sentiment is wildly shared among the Ukrainians these days and they don't hesitate much to voice it. Think to avoid having to ban them all and lose the market, um, 
that the infamous exemption was introduced. Um, I think um, you're not you're not you're not wrong. Um, I think they they did it because of that. I don't think they were pushing some agenda. Uh, I don't know if I was saying that. I certainly didn't want to because I think in the episode I didn't really get into why they did this because I don't fucking care. Um, the thing is, I don't think it's as economically driven as you think because I mean it's Ukraine. I mean, in the in the greater greater uh, scheme of things, Facebook could just like Meta could just kick, kick every Ukrainian off Facebook, and they wouldn't even notice, um, you know, with billions of people on there. Uh, but um, the, the the thing is, um, why I objected to this is that, and I'm going to get into that a little bit later here as well. But like, this is. Um, while it's understandable that Ukrainians have this um, reaction, I think, it, of course, it, it is sad because, I mean, this is what war does, right? It leads to, to hate uh, on, on the other side and then, then that leads, leads to action and then it leads to more hate and then you have this circle that if nobody ever breaks it, it's just going to go on forever. Um, but, you know, that's just the way it is. But, like... Um, the thing with like the hate speech policy is that it was like hate speech policies, especially by people like Facebook, was always sold as a moral thing, right? Facebook was was saying because it was pressured, largely by my colleagues in the press, to like um, stop like to to fight this this hate speech, and they were saying yes, they were clearly saying it's a moral thing. It's like we want to do the right thing. Um, Right, and 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 the thing with 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 morals is you just can't turn on a dime like that because if your whole uh, argument is that you are banning hate speech because hate is bad, you can't then go, uh, yes, hate is bad, but not this hate. That was my whole point. I mean, you can do that, and they did. I was just saying we can't let them get away with this because it shows that the whole. Um, it shows what I was saying from the beginning. There's no, there isn't a moral reason to ban this kind of speech. There are other reasons, political reasons, or you know, if you want to go with Necros's argument, economic ec economic reason. But it doesn't matter. It means that their justification for doing it was a farce from the beginning. That was basically what I was pointing out. Anyway, as Steve B responded to this uh, and said, but in very good point, but in the Middle East, many countries would say the same about the West, and that would be hate speech. I, you know, if you're from Syria and you say, like, or like Afghanistan, the fucking Americans attacked us without uh, provocation, they just fucking invaded us, uh, you know, death to all Americans, then that certainly would be hate speech. And that that's just not that's not justice, you know. It's the kind of thing with that I talked about in one episode, like law and justice, or like basically rules and justice, right? It's not that that like if you if you ban this kind of speech and you want to want justice, then you have to ban all kinds of like you you know, and and I mean this is not a new problem. Um, like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is is very. Uh, is a very good example for the, for this where like a lot of times especially in Germany it'd be like you know um, saying death to all, all all Palestinians would be treated massively differently than saying death to all Israelis right even though it's a kind of it's the same uh, it's, it's literally the same hate speech it's like the same thing but like for historic reasons um, 
the Germans just just I mean understandable historic reasons, but just it's not just it's not just if you go like one is worse than the other because you're calling on people to be killed just because they have a certain nationality right um yeah uh, uh so yes uh, cfb says uh, i think we have another case of them just continually moving the bar whether we like it or not or whether it benefits us or not bars need to be set and then not move basically they have to, uh, they have just told us that they get to decide at whim what is considered hate speech. And that's exactly the point, right? So basically what we're doing here is we're giving companies, like the, our states, like in my case, Germany, in your case, whatever, the US or wherever you are, your, our states are giving a company the right to, like this is not, the, the I've thought about this before, the argument this is our platform, we can do what you want, just doesn't go anymore. This is a, for for tens of better term, it's like the public, right? This is like where public opinion gets form, formed. And we're giving control of that to a company. And we're saying they can now decide, um, you know, what is illegal and what is not. Like what, or what gets banned and what you can say and what you can't say. And while that is one thing, if they just do that impartially... <laughs> It's even it's bad enough as it is because as I was pointed out in Germany we have laws against hate speech. Facebook should get the fuck off regulating any of this. It's the government's like the, it's literally the government's um, job. The government made a law and said this is hate speech and our courts decide this, so it's their fucking job. It's not Facebook's job, right? Facebook doesn't get to pull like <laughs> if there's people standing across the road from the Facebook headquarters. Uh, throwing stones in the windows, Facebook doesn't get to have a private police force and just beat them to pulp. They have to call the state. They have to call the German police and they have to take care of it. So that's what should apply here too. And and it gets worse if they just make a mockery. Like if, if, if we give them that right and they make just to make a mockery of that process by by like at the first sign of trouble and just turning turning around and just just completely showing that 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 justice is really not what they want like they're going for the for the for the path of least resistance probably um but that's not like if you're trying to make moral decisions and you're claiming to be just and 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 doing that that's not what you do um um so necros was against that uh he replied and said no Times change, people change, society changes, and bars need to be moved to reflect that. We don't throw stones at women who dare to fuck without being married. We, well, it depends on the country. Uh, we don't burn people for not sharing our religions. Depends on the... No, they're just stoning them as well. Uh, and we allow black people and white people to use the same toilets. These bars have gradually moved, and it's a good thing. Actually, that you know, that's very, very US. Uh, you know, in other countries... That was never in the, well, yeah, okay, but that's a different argument. Um, Steve B replied, um, while it does need to change, it needs uh, thought and oversight. So the kind of change I'm against is my neighbor upset me, so I'm changing a rule. In our current world, both sides even dispute, uh, both sides of every dispute are running large disinformation campaigns, and while the media should maintain neutrality, they have been picking sides and fueling the campaigns. Actually, this is kind of moving the discussion uh, into another direction because actually at this point we weren't talking about the media but facebook which you know it's enjoying especially in the u.s certain 
protections against being sued is specifically because they're not the media <laughs> and they're not supposed to editorialize. But I, I, I like this. Of course, we have to move lines and, and rules in society, right? And of course, like moral, uh, moral standards change. And that is good. But they can move, they can move to both sides, right? Where, where Necros uh, talks about stuff like, um, uh, you know, moving it in the right direction, you know, slavery, whatever. They can also move in the other direction, which in Russia is happening, for example, right? There's countries, Turkey, right, where where, where they move in the other direction, in the direction we don't want, um, where a very secularized country for, suddenly becomes a religious fanatic country, or the government at least. Um, so, you know, moving that is not always good. And also... Um, yeah, you have to be very careful. I'm, I'm with Steve B on this. You have to you have to think about this, right? And this is why, um, for example, this is why we have constitutions, right? Because um, in a in a in a modern de- democracy, the way things should work is that the laws are malleable, right? The the politicians you 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 vote for um, make the laws, which means you know in a I mean it's not that easy and you know, there's more layers, but like generally a democracy works in a way where the majority of the people change the laws, you know, in a in the direction they want. So laws can be changed if everybody says, ah, we, we you know our moral standards change, we need to change this. Now because certain things shouldn't be changed because they're then they never really change because they're morally um relatively inflexible or you want them to be, right? Um, we have constitutions, which are generally uh, designed as laws that even the government can't change. And that's their whole point. You know, because, for example, in Germany, after Nazi Germany, we learned certain things. After Hitler, we learned certain things. We said, these these rules should never be changed. There's no reason. These, these should be these are morally very important rules that should be extremely unflexible. That even the government shouldn't be shouldn't change, and that's what we put in the constitution. So some things just shouldn't be changed. And if you make a strong moral statement, I'm not saying it should never change, but if you go like, this is our platform and for moral reasons, we think hate speech is bad. So we are we are outlawing hate speech, and like calling for somebody's death is hate speech, right? And then a year later, literally a year later, whatever, you turn around and go, yeah, yeah, but we've changed our mind. In this case, calling for somebody's death is justified. That is just wrong. That is bad. And we need to, the problem is we need to call out, like, I'm not even mad at Facebook for changing the rules. I'm mad at, like, for example, journalists, like my profession, whose job it is to call something out like this. To go, like, fucking, a, like, a year ago, you said you you want to be morally superior and hate speech is bad. And, and this is why we're doing this and that and the other thing. And now you're going, well, not in this case. Like, you're a morally corrupt, morally bankrupt company. And you shouldn't be in charge of deciding things like this. And that that's what the press should say. Um, but this story wasn't even covered a lot. And then now we get into the media. Um, I largely agree with Steve B. Uh, here on the media should maintain neutrality. Um, Necros says, um, actually questions that the media should maintain neutrality and says, there's no such thing as impartial media, which is correct. A media outlet financed by some sponsor necessarily pushes the agenda of that sponsor, the agenda that sponsor desires in a more or less subtle way. A media outlet financed by consumers, 
the private citizen being a good example, is necessarily driven in what information it presents and how it it uh, and how by the consumers, which is why I think good journalism should be supported by the people who consume it. Um, Fab calls us all producers for a reason. Of course, he himself is also naturally a producer, yeah. And his is the biggest contribution, so he has a deciding voice. Um, yeah, and also somebody somebody kind of has to, <laughs> otherwise it's chaos. Um, if a media outlet is sponsored by its consumers and the consumers demand neutral balance coverage, then and only then it can and should maintain neutrality. In all other cases, I seriously doubt maintaining neutrality is possible or desirable. Well, you know, I generally agree with what Necros says here. And of course, I've talked about this a lot, like you can't be objective as a journalist and you can't be neutral, but you should strive to. Right. And that's why you, you know, lay down your biases, which I did like in episode 100 for a long time for you guys. So, you know where I'm coming from. And I, I believe um, I believe you should strive for neutrality. And I think um, when Necros says the consumers have to demand that, I think they generally do. Um, I think they want, I think most of media consumers, most of readers, viewers, listeners want their media to be as impartial as they can, as it can be they just don't have a chance in the current um climate because it's largely media is largely supported by advertising which is why i don't like that model um and then we have completely different cases where you know yes in case of of the private citizen i think you want that and this is why kind of i created the show that's the that's the premise of the show but if you look like the, for the public broadcasting in Germany, the public broadcasting system in Germany has a state mandate. And that's why the state collects money on behalf of this. Like you're forced as a German citizen, kind of like the BBC license, to pay for this broadcasting with the ex explicit legal um, mandate to be neutral. That is their man mandate, and they're, they're not neutral, right? So in, in the example we have today, in the war of Ukraine and Russia, they are very much on the Ukrainian side, which I, I, is understandable. Like, you know, pr personally, morally, I'm also on that side. I, yes, I, I am rooting for the Ukrainians in this war. But if I'm a journalist and I'm trying to give you as close to the facts as I can, as I see them, that gets in the way, right? Because then I'm more uh, inclined to believe Ukrainian propaganda, for example, government propaganda, which could be a lie. So I'm misinforming my 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 audience, right? Or I um, I start believing that militarily the Ukraine can beat Russia, even though. All the data I have is 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 pointing the other direction. Like even if I'm personally rooting for Ukraine, if I'm reporting on this, I'm trying to divorce myself from that, um, and uh, and which makes the cover. I think that makes the coverage better for you. I mean, and you don't even have to go into war. It's kind of the same same thing with the Drachenlord. Uh, uh, um, Situation. I think most of the media in Germany is on his side. They sympathize with his plight. Maybe because they haven't watched enough of his videos. I don't know. But like that leads to a misunderstanding of the situation on the ground and just leads to you just 
giving your audience wrong information because you're biased and everybody's biased but like you have to see your own bias right it's not so bad if you're biased and if you know about it and you just you you put it in your reporting um and it's also okay if that gets balanced out because like at a you know if at a given publication you had 20 reporters and 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 15 of them are pro ukrainian and five of them are, are, are more you know they they not even pro russian but they understand the russian side a bit more then you'd have balanced reporting you still have more pro ukrainian people but like you'd have articles that balance each other out but we just don't have that on the media like even if that's the thing today you're just not as a as a reporter in the newsroom you're just you're just afraid probably to, to you would not write this more pro-Russian article you wanted to write because that's what, how you see the situation because you'd get like shouted down and you get shunned by all your colleagues, right? Um, like the, the, the article I wrote for my newsletter on analyzing Putin's war goals, I could not write that at the German newspaper, right? Um, why? It, it's in English, but you know, in German, I could not write that because everybody in the newsroom would probably go, well, you, this sounds pro-Putin. Which it isn't. It's it's uh, it's just a very unemotional um, analysis. But like that's the way it sounds if you're pro-Ukrainian, and then you you can't publish that basically because you get strongly dissuaded from that, or you just like your editor just goes, "We're not publishing this." Um, so yeah, I think I think that is kind of the problem. Steve B also replied uh, to Necros saying, "For me, this uh, I mean this this winds it up now, but like I think generally." consumers want want neutrality um or at least they want a balanced view right i mean it's not it's okay to read uh in publication that is this on the one side as long as you still have the option of reading the other side there's also i mean there's also many consumers who don't want that who just who just want the the apparently they're, they're okay with the emotional oh we're all gonna die or we're all on this side uh, thing they, they just don't want to be well informed. They just you, you just can't help these people. Um, but anyway, um, Steve B had a nice. Um, I mean, the discussion was, was. There's a lot more of this discussion on the forum. Uh, there's a link in the show notes if you want to read all of it. But I think Steve B put a nice end to it, put a nice cap on it uh, when he said, uh, "For me, this all boils down to there being two sides, but the current systems." Uh, will side with one side and demonize the other side, no matter which side is correct. This is why I like your statement of letting people decide for themselves, but these days our media is dictating to too many people what they are, what they are to decide and not, the inf and not giving them the information required to actually think for themselves and, um, or actually decide for themselves. And I agree with this very much. That, that is very much a problem in a nutshell, right? Um, there's too many articles out there you should do like they literally now are articles you should like and it's not even like politics or fuck it's it's everywhere it's not only in politics it's in fucking sports it's in it's in gaming right there's articles so i play elden ring right now which is a fascinating game uh, and then I, I read like an article uh like uh you're playing elden ring wrong or this is how this is not what like what like what kind of an I just don't understand the attitude of these, I'm going to put it in air quotes, journalists who are writers, because you're writing like a fucking school teacher. You're so condescending to your fucking audience. What the hell's wrong with you? 
Like, I have my opinion, I have my analysis, I just gave you my analysis, but I don't presuppose that's what you think, you should think. And I always say, please write to me if you don't, because I find the discussion interesting. Um, I don't want to be in a bubble where everybody just thinks the same thing. And I would never presuppose, I've never written an article, I've written thousands of articles in my now 10 years uh, of professional journalism. Um, I've written thousands of articles maybe even probably tens of thousands. Um, and I've never, or I've done so many podcast episodes, never have I never have I at least wanted to, you know, if, if I did, I didn't mean to, um, and I, I'm, I'm ashamed for that if I did, but like I, I, I never write or, or, or talk like, you know, you should think that, and, and, and this is the correct way to think or to do something. That's not, that's not what a journalist does. That's what a propagandist does or a PR person or a teacher. Um, and once you get to university, you know, your teacher basically uh, shouldn't do that anymore either. Like I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to do here is, 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 is create content for people who would be happy at university. Where at least when I went to university, I don't know how it's these days, but you were kind. Of, the whole point was to encourage you to think for yourself. the The, the point of university is to give you the tools, you know, sapere aude, there, there to think, there to question, to give you the tools to do that, to to think critically, to figure out where information is, but to to debate everything, to debate with your fellow students, to debate with your with your professors. That's the whole point, and that's why what I want to do here. But anyway, this this whole um, discussion went on for a bit more, and it's it's like really nice. At the end, basically, I enjoyed this discussion very much because you had two people here: one from North America, one from one from Russia, with the very different viewpoints, uh, discussing this very calmly and very civilized, and then in the end, basically agreeing that that you know war is shit, and that all of us, no matter what country we are, our our tax dollars are currently being spent on building weapons and sending weapons somewhere. I mean, obviously for the guy in Russia, but, you know, also for, for me in Germany and, and people in the US. And and our tax dollars are now being all spent on war, whereas we, you know, listening to this podcast all over the world, all of us, we don't want that. We don't, we fucking hate war. And I have good friends in, 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 in Russia. Um, I don't know if anybody listening to this in Ukraine, um, but it would be nice if I had friends in Ukraine or at least listeners in Ukraine, um, you know, I have friends all over the world and, and just because I don't like what my government does and their government does doesn't mean like we have to um, fall prey to all this propaganda. And I think this discussion showed this very well, um, that across all these borders, we can still agree that, for example, all our governments are shit and they're doing shitty things here and we don't want this war. Um, and and that, that was, uh, it's just an thought it was a nice end to the discussion. And it's probably a nice end to the show. So, if you have a different viewpoint, I would like to hear it. Uh, go to privatecitizen.press, contact link in the top. Uh, there's there's contact information in, in every, uh, you know, individual show note, show, show note, probably, uh, under producer feedback at the bottom. Uh, there's, there's, it explains how to contact me and uh, also if you are in Russia use the whistleblower contact form it. Um, the page links to a blog post where I write about uh, how I set this up, what it is, uh, how, how to use it and you know, try to be safe please, that's the most important thing anyway, um, speaking of producers 
now we get to the point uh, where I thank all the producers. podcast follows the value for value model which was pioneered pioneered by adam curry and john c dvorak on the no agenda show uh, which works like this uh, you can become a producer of the show and that works by either writing in and uh, giving me you know information about what's happening where you are boots on the ground reports uh, by correcting mistakes i made by giving me ideas for new episodes all that kind of thing um, but what's also of course needed is uh, you know monetary help because I, I just can't do that without it and i don't want this podcast to be sponsored by anybody for obvious reasons that we just discussed so if you want to help out uh, you can become a patron um, or you can uh, use paypal to just send some money over uh, all the details are also in the show notes private citizen or press and uh, with that i would like to thank everybody who brought you this episode so if you enjoyed this um you 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 will also thank these people so uh everybody who supported me via patreon and paypal um thank you those people are george's steve o's butterbeans michael small rudain the insane jonathan m Hedhey. Michael Mullen Jensen, Dave, I1I11G, Jaroslav Lichtblau, Jackie Plage, Philip Klostermann, IKN, Bennett Piata, Sandmann, Sandman616, turned into German there, Vlad, Tobias, Mode7, Kai Sears, Joe Poser, Fadi Mansur, Dirk Didi, Rizel, Avis, David Potter, Mika, Mr. Amish, Cam, Dave Amrish, Ricky M., Barry Williams, Jonathan, RJ Tracy, Rick Bragg, Captain Eckert, Astro C., Robert Forster, Superuser, D, and no reply. And also because I'm streaming this live on Twitch. And uh, Twitch supporters also support this podcast as well as my gaming streams and all the other stuff I do. Uh, thanks to my Twitch subscribers as well. Those are Mike the Dane, JonathanMH underscore com, Bacon the Pork, Redeemer F, Astro C1, The Panzer, Hooverstar, Borklet, Quad Damage, Nomt771, Halifa, Indie Game EX, who is in chat. Uh, mode 7 um, Mode 7 is unavailable Sandman 616 Luna Spork Gal Terran El Terrestris Jim and Harry Vatana thanks to all of you Astro C also chat by the way um, I also have to thank ByteMark at ByteMark.co.uk the UK cloud hosting company and they're providing me with the bandwidth and the storage to bring you the audio files um, for free. I couldn't do that without them. So thanks to Bitemark, um, supporting uh, free speech in a big way here. Um, and that's it. Uh, theme song of the show is Acoustic Roots by Raul Kabazali. And I'm going to play you out with another song. I, I you know, like to do that, a different song uh, every episode. Um, this is a Thriving Seas by Blood Red Sun. And I'll see you soon probably talking about the Drachenlord. Uh, thanks thanks for listening. Um, thanks for uh, daring to think so uh, for yourself. So uh, aim to misbehave and Zapore uh, Aude. I look the other way I don't see how it's got anything to do with me oh, Hurry I need my Doesn't make sense, but every cell in my body. <laughs>
Conclusion. 